You are listening to the First Baptist Church Martin podcast. For more information on our church, visit fbcmartin.org. If you have been with us through the summer, you know that we have spent our summer in the Psalms. We haven't looked at all of the Psalms, but we have looked at many of the Psalms recorded in the book of Psalms, and we've called this series Summer in the Psalms, and today we're going to bring this series to a close. We're going to begin moving on to other things throughout the fall, but we are going to look at the last of the Psalms in the book of Psalms this morning, and that would be Psalm 150. This is not just the last of the Psalms recorded in Scripture It really is the pinnacle of all the Psalms. Steve Lawson, in his commentary on the book of Psalms, describes Psalm 150 as the climactic crescendo of the entire book. And let me help you you understand why he says that. When you look at the book of Psalms, how does it begin? It begins talking about the man or the woman who walks with God. Blessed is the man who walks with the Lord, who doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. He doesn't live his life as other people in the world do, but rather he delights in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. He's a man who seeks to walk righteously and obediently before God. And the Bible says about that man that he is planted like a tree next to streams or rivers of water, that his leaf will never wither and that whatever his hand touches, it will prosper. It will be blessed because the Lord is with him. He's completely different from the other people that he would find himself surrounded by in the world. Here's a man who walks with the Lord. And that's how the book of Psalms begins. But then as you begin to work your way into the book of Psalms, you begin to realize that The man who walks with God or the woman who walks with God, even though they're blessed and the hand of the Lord is upon them, life in this world is not easy. It's filled with struggle and trials and there's suffering and there's pain that even the child of God uh, encounters and endures in this life. Even the righteous man has enemies in this world, adversaries, people that are always trying to take them down. And when you begin to read through the Psalms, what you have are these expressions of faith in the midst of constant trial, faith in the midst of constant difficulty. It's one of the reasons why we love the Psalms so much. Many of us is because they're so honest, they're so transparent. We see ourselves in the Psalms as we read about the psalmist struggles with trying to hold on to faith and trying to uh, be godly in the midst of ungodly surroundings. And so the first part of the book of Psalms are all of these honest, transparent Psalms that just talk about real life and a real world, but trying to walk with, the, with God in the midst of it. Then when you get later on into the book of Psalms, what you have are these psalms that just begin to turn to praise. I mean, they're all about praise. And this praise just begins to build and build and build and build in the latter half of the psalms until you come to Psalm 150, which is this climactic crescendo where the psalmist calls upon us who know the Lord and who walk with the Lord to give to the Lord our highest praise. 
This is how the book ends. And it all makes sense, doesn't it? This is a psalm of worship. The, the book of Psalms is all about worship, and that's why we're here, isn't it? Not, not, not just why we're here this morning, but it's why we're here, period. We are worshipers. It's why we exist. We were made to worship. We entered into this world worshiping. And all of us are going to find something to worship while we're here. It's just who we are. Unfortunately, because of the fall, what we tend to do is worship other things rather than God. We worship all things created instead of the God who created all things. And where that leaves us is empty and broken, searching endlessly for something that will satisfy the deepest longings of our soul, but never being able to find it out there in the world because we were not made for the world and we were not made to worship the things of the world. We were created to worship God. And it's only when we discover God in a relationship with Him through His Son, Jesus Christ, that we understand who we are and understand why it is we exist, what we were created for. We were made by God and for God, and only in Him do we find meaning and purpose and satisfaction and fulfillment and hope and joy and peace and all of these things that we all are longing for and we all crave and need in this life. And when you discover that the one that you've been searching for and the one that you need the most is God and you enter into a relationship with Him, when you understand all that he's done for you in order to make that relationship possible, it leaves us at a place where the only thing we can do is to render to him our highest praise. And that's what this psalm is all about. It's giving to God what he deserves. And that is our highest praise. So let's read it together. We're going to come back and talk about it. Psalm 150. Let's stand in honor of our Lord, the reading of his word to us today. It begins this way. Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty firmament. Praise Him for His mighty acts. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise Him with the lute and the harp. Praise Him with the timbrel and with dance. Praise Him with stringed instruments and flutes. Praise Him with loud cymbals. Praise Him with clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And all of God's people said, amen. You may be seated. So there's several things I want us to notice as we walk through these six verses of this very short psalm. First of all, I want us to think about for a moment where God is to be praised because that's how it begins. We're called upon to praise the Lord. And then we're told where God is to be praised. He is to be praised in His sanctuary, and He is to be praised in His mighty firmament. Now, when the psalmist talks about praising God in the sanctuary, what he has in mind, most scholars believe, is he has in mind the tabernacle or the temple, the place where God's people would assemble and they would gather to offer their praise and their offerings up to the Lord. 
And we've talked about this as we've worked our way through the Psalms this summer, that many of the Psalms in the book of Psalms are songs of ascent. So these are songs that they would actually sing the people of God as they were making their way to Jerusalem to participate in the worship of God. It was all about preparing their hearts for the worship of God. And then when they would arrive there, they would sing many of these other songs as well that were songs of worship to their God that expressed praise and gave glory to God. But they did this together, much the same way that we have come together this morning for the purpose of offering our praise unto the Lord. Now, understand that God doesn't live in buildings, and we talked about this God doesn't live in buildings made with hands. God's not confined to this space or to any space at all. The Bible tells us that His glory fills the heavens and the earth. God is everywhere. He is with us at all times. We don't have to come here in order to meet with God or to be with God. God is always with us. And so when we finish up this morning, we're not going to say goodbye to God and then go on about our business the rest of the week and then show back up next week and meet with Him again. God should go with us wherever we go. The Bible tells us in the New Testament that as a child of God, you and I are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. God lives and dwells within us. And so wherever we are, God is there. God is with us, which means that our worship should be ongoing. If the temple is the place of worship and you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, then your worship of God should be an ongoing thing in your life. Not once a week, not just when the church as a whole gets together, but every place you are in everything that you do, you are to live your life as an offering of worship to God. You should be worshiping God when you're at home with your family. You should be worshiping God when you are at work. Did you know that? The Bible talks about how work is an offering of worship to God, that in everything that we do, even during the week, in word or deed, we're to do it to the glory of God. When we're out in creation, if we're on the lake or enjoying a day outside, even there, we are to worship the Lord. As we see God in creation and are reminded of just how awesome and good and wonderful He is, we are to take those moments and spend those moments just giving praise to God in creation. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, you are to be praising the Lord. But then, there are these times and these moments when we come back together and we gather as the church to collectively offer our praise unto the Lord, and that's important too. Of all the places where you could be praising the Lord and where you should be praising the Lord, this place, the place where God's people gather, should be high on your priority list. The Bible tells us that we're not to neglect the assembling of ourselves together, as some do, but we need to be together, and we need to be offering our praise together unto the Lord and encouraging one another in doing so, and even the more as we see the day approaching, the day when our Lord is going to return. And so this place is important, but what makes this place special? is when the people who meet here and gather here come here bringing their worship with them. What I mean by that is when you and I have been worshiping God all week long in everything that we do, when we in our lives individually have been out in the world and praising the Lord through our works and through our deeds and 
with our voices and by the way that we live our life, and then we come here, what we're doing is we're bringing something with us that has been a part of our life all week long, and as we join together to render our praise to God, He ends up getting our highest praise. And this is what the psalmist is talking about. Praise God in his sanctuary. When the people of God come together, they should bring their worship with them and offer to God his highest praise. But then he says, praise him in his mighty firmament. That's the way the New King James translates that. And what that means is that God is to be praised not just here on earth, but he's to be praised in the heavens. Many scholars believe that he's talking about here the place where the angels dwell and the place where the saints who have now left this world, where they now reside with God in his presence, that God is to be praised there also. In fact, God is being praised there. Do you know what the, you know what the angels are doing right now? along with the redeemed who have gone on before us from this life and are now with the Lord, you know what they're doing? The Bible tells us that they are worshiping the Lord. They are praising the Lord. Every time we get a picture of heaven, that's what's happening. God is receiving praise, not just from the angels, but from his people. I want to take just a moment and just kind of talk about something. I've mentioned this several times, and it just sort of keeps coming back up because of things that I see people post on social media, comments that people make. And I just want to be clear about something, that, that, that when a believer dies, a believer does not become an angel. Did you know that? I see this all the time. A believer will die, and people will post stuff on Facebook and say, well, I guess God just needed another angel. That's not how this works, okay? Angels were not something else, and then they evolved into becoming angels. Angels have always been angels. They were created to be angels. And you and I were never created to be angels. What the Bible says is that in creation, we were made a little lower than the angels. But the Bible also says that because of our redemption, because of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ in eternity, you and I have a place that is higher than and greater than that of the angels. In fact, did you know that the Bible says that in eternity, believers, the saved, the saints are going to judge the angels? So we're not angels and we're never going to be angels. And I'm good with that because you and I have the opportunity and the ability to praise God in a way that the angels cannot. The angels can worship God and they can praise Him and they do. They praise God because of who He is. They praise Him for His glory and His holiness and all of the wonderful attributes of God just as we praise God for those things and they can praise God for his works and what he's done and what they have witnessed him do. And they have seen God pour out his grace on sinners in this world. But an angel has never experienced the grace of God. Did you know that? No angel has ever experienced the grace of God the way you and I have experienced the grace of God. 
That's why the New Testament says that the angels now look with amazement and wonder at what God has done for us through His Son, Jesus Christ. They search these things. They look into these things, but they cannot fully understand these things because they never experienced these things, but you and I have. We know what it's like to be lost and be rescued out of our sin. We know what it's like to have God send His only begotten Son into this world to die on a cross in order that we might be redeemed. We know what it was like to be hell-bound and hell-deserving, but to be rescued by the grace of God and now have a hope that reaches into all eternity to be Heirs of Christ, heirs of God, joint heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ for all eternity. That is us. That's our inheritance. You and I have experienced things that the angels have never experienced. And so when it comes to praising God, even in eternity, you and I are going to be able to do that better than even the angels can do it now. Or they ever will be able to do that. And so what he's saying is this, when the saints of earth come together, and praise the Lord, what they are doing is the very thing that the angels in heaven are doing and what the redeemed in heaven are doing is that in heaven and on earth, God everywhere is receiving the praise that he deserves. That's beautiful when you think about it. So we gather together this morning, we sing our offerings and our praise unto the Lord. We're doing the very thing right here that the angels are doing in heaven. We're doing the very thing right here that our loved ones and the redeemed who have gone before us, what they're doing right now in the presence of God, we are joining together to praise Him who is worthy and deserving of our praise. That's a beautiful thought. And it's what we're going to be doing for all eternity. So where is God to be praised? He's to be praised everywhere. In his sanctuary, in the mighty firmament. And then he talks about here not just where God is to be praised. He talks about also why God is to be praised. If you look at verse 2, he says, Praise him for his mighty acts and praise him according to his excellent greatness. When he talks about his mighty acts, he's talking about praising God for what he has done. And I'll tell you, our God has done great things, hasn't he? God has done wonderful things, amazing things, things that our minds cannot even begin to comprehend. God has done great things. You think about creation. Every time we step outside, every time we look at the wonders of creation, we're reminded of just how awesome and great our God is. That this didn't just happen about, that this is not a product of chance, that our God spoke when there was nothing and then everything came into existence by his mighty power he has created all things praise him for his creation you see the beauty of god in creation you see the wisdom of god in creation you see the glory of god in creation praise him for his creation but then also you think about redemption you think about what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, how God so loved the world, how he so loved you and I that he gave his only begotten son. You know, it's a wonderful thing to live where we live in the world, where we would have access to the gospel and access to the word of God. And many of us, 
from the earliest moments of our life, we can, re- we can remember being told these things of what God has done for us through His Son, Jesus Christ. But the, the curse of living where we live is that we've heard it so many times, it just kind of ricochets off of us, that we don't really think about it anymore. It doesn't really set on us the way that it should anymore, that God so loved us that He gave His only begotten Son. God sent His own Son into this world to take your sin on Himself and to go to the cross and suffer the punishment that you deserve because of sin. That in those hours that He hung on the cross, Jesus endured the hell that you and I deserve for all eternity. And then God raised Him up from the dead so that by faith in Christ, by putting our trust in Christ, we could be forgiven of our sin. That we who were once enemies of God could not just become the friends of God, but be a part of the family of God. That we would become the sons and daughters of God. That we would have the same privileges in the family of God and in eternity that God has given His only begotten Son, Jesus Himself. That we would share in this kingdom under the rule of this King who is the king of all kings and of whose kingdom will never uh, there, there will never be an end. All of this is what God has done for us, not because we deserved it, not because we had worked for it or earned it in any way whatsoever, but just because of his amazing love and his inexplicable grace, God has done these things for us. And we should never be able to get over that. The longer we walk with God, the more that we worship God, the more that we understand what God has done for us, the more our hearts should be filled with praise. Praise Him for what He's done. But listen, God's not finished. God's still working. He's still working in the world. He's still working in your life and in my life. God's working in us every day, making us more and more like Jesus, transforming us back into the image of God. Of, of, of Christ himself so that we would be able to reflect his glory as we were made to do, as we should do. Which means that God takes all the things that happens in our life, even the bad things that we sometimes don't understand, the things that are tough and difficult and painful, God is taking those things and working those things together for our good and for his glory. And even though we don't understand it now, we will understand it then. But we know who God is and we know how God works and we know how God loves us. And so we praise him that even in the tough moments of life, God is still moving and God is still doing great things. And then we praise him because of the promises that he's given us. And when you read the Bible and you look at the promises of God, every promise of God is as if it's already a done deal. God has seen the end from the beginning. And so it's not this wishful thinking that we're hoping on to down here or holding on to down here. We have blessed assurance that everything God has promised us, it's as good as done already. And so we know what the future holds for us because we know who holds our future. We know where we're going. We know what we have to look forward to. It's why death doesn't scare us anymore. We're not afraid of death because we know the one who has conquered death, who has promised that he's the resurrection and the life. And he who lives and believes in him will never die. And those who die and believe in him shall live forever. We praise him for what he's done. But then we also praise him for who he is. And that's when he talks about praising him according to his excellent greatness. It's not just praising God for what he's done, but praising him for who he is. And those two things go together.
We praise God because he's holy and he's perfect in every way. We praise him because he's righteous and he's, and he's just. He does all things well. We praise him because he's sovereign and he's in control of all things. We praise him because he's all present with us, ever present with us. We praise him because he is all wise and knows all things. We praise him because he has all power and there's nothing too difficult or impossible for our God. We praise him because he's loving, because he's faithful, because he's good, because he's great, and he is greatly to be praised. And what the psalmist is really encouraging us to do is to keep walking with God and stay close to God in his word because the more we walk with God and the more we understand God from his word as he's revealed himself to us, the more informed we become about what he's done and who he is, and it lifts our praise to a higher level. Why are we to praise him? Because, his, because of his mighty acts, because of his excellent greatness. And then he talks about how we're to praise him. You look at verse 3. He says, praise him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise him with the lute and the harp. Praise him with the timbrel and with dance. And all the Baptists said, oh me. Is that, is that really there? It's really there. And it's not the kind of dancing that, that, that we're accustomed to. It's not sensual, it's not provocative or anything like that. It's, it's more of a leaping before the Lord, a leaping with joy before the Lord, kind of a skipping before the Lord. But you see the saints in the Old Testament especially doing often as they worship the Lord. Praise Him with timbrel, that'd be like a tambourine, with dance. Praise Him with stringed instruments, with flutes. Praise Him with loud cymbals. Play, praise Him with clashing Symbols, banging those things together, exclamation point. Praise the Lord. Now, I want you to understand that, that this list of instruments is not comprehensive or complete. These are not the only instruments that can be used in the worship of God. This is just a sampling. And what the psalmist is saying to us is this, is that we... As we praise the Lord or to take whatever we've got, take whatever instrument that you can find and use it to praise the Lord. You can do that with nothing but a piano. You can do it with no instruments at all. You can do it with a piano and a keyboard. You can do it with a full orchestra. Or you can do it with some guitars and keyboards and drums. The focus here is not on our preferences. The focus is on the glory of the Lord here. Take whatever you got and use it to praise the Lord. Now, some things may not be your thing, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's a wrong thing. Oftentimes, we bring our personal biases and preferences into the place of worship, and we let those dictate what should be done and what cannot be done in the house of the Lord. God just seems to leave it sort of open here for us, as if to say to us that the focus of worship is not on you. 
But the focus of our worship is to be on Him. He's the one that we've come to worship. He's the one that we've come to praise. And the psalmist says, take your instruments, take everything that you've got and use them to praise the Lord. Now, the thing I find interesting about the book of Psalms is this. Psalms is a collection of songs that were used in worship. And what you have here are the words of the songs that they would sing to the Lord, but there are no notes that are given to us. There's no music to these songs. It's just the words. And I think that's because God is saying that the musical style is not what's important to me. It's not what matters most. What he cares about is praise that is grounded in truth. When Jesus was talking with the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, they were having this conversation about worship. Jesus said to her, he said, the Father is searching for people in the world to worship him, true worshipers. And he says, a true worshiper is someone who worships God in spirit and in truth. Now, the word spirit that he uses there is not capital S, but little s which talks about worship that comes from the heart, worship that has feeling and emotion to it. And he says those two things must go together if your worship is to be what it should in the presence of the Lord. You come together and you worship God in truth, but there's, no, there, there, there's nothing coming from your heart. There's no feeling or emotion. It's just cold, dead orthodoxy. You come to God with all of these emotions, but it's not grounded in truth. That kind of worship is going to fly off the rails before you know it. Worship must be from the heart, but it must be grounded in truth. And that's the thing that we are to focus on. Worship God with everything that we've got. Make these offerings of worship to God. Just make sure that whatever you're offering to Him is really for Him and that it comes from your heart and it's grounded in truth. I'll tell you, now listen. Worship is not a performance. We don't show up to watch the singers and the band and us stand there like we're at a concert and we're spectators and just kind of taking it all in. Worship is something that we're all to engage in. And so these people are not here to entertain us. They're just here to help lead us in the worship of God. But we are to be engaged in the worship of God. It's to come from our heart. We don't just sing words on the screen without thinking about the words that we're singing. We sing songs to God that are supposed to come from our heart we're supposed to think about what he's done when we sing about what he's done we're to be we're to be thinking about how good he is when we sing about the goodness of God when we sing about the cross we're to remember what he did on the cross and remember what he's done for us through the cross our hearts to be engaged but it is to come from the word of God you with me that's important and just in case you're looking at this list that is given to us here and you're thinking to yourself, well, listen, I feel left out here because I can't play a thing. Neither can I. I love music. I've always loved music. Grew up loving music. I love all genres of music, not just one particular style. I listen to all different styles of music. And I've always wanted to play an instrument. Just never learned how. Now, I did in high school play a mean air guitar. 
And I can still do that on occasion. But then I moved from the air guitar to the dashboard drums. Anybody got a dashboard drum set? Yeah, I've got one. My wife hates it. Takes my drum kit away from me when we're going down the road every once in a while. Long trips, drives are crazy because I, I love music. I'm always listening to something. I'm always, you know, just kind of playing. But that, that, that's about as far as it goes for me. And some of you in the same boat. I mean, I look at these people who have these talents and gifts, and I just, I, I envy them in some way. I wish I could do that. But the thing that you need to understand is this is that every person in this room, though we may not be able to play a musical instrument, has an instrument that's the most important instrument of all that is to be used in the worship of God. You know what it is? It's your voice. It's your voice. There's a song that was written years ago by a man named Dan Dean. He was from the group Phillips, Craig, and Dean. And the song is called Favorite Song of All. And I just want you to listen to some of the lyrics from that song. He's talking about about God here. And he says, He loves to hear the wind sing as it whistles through the pines and mountain leaves. He loves to hear the raindrops as they splash to the ground in a magic melody. He smiles in sweet approval as the waves crash through the rocks in harmony and creation joins in unity to sing to him majestic symphonies. In other words, all of creation is praising the Lord, inanimate things, praising God just the way things happen in the universe. It's all giving praise to God. But then he says this in his song. He says, but his favorite song of all is the song of the redeemed. When lost sinners now made clean, lift their voices loud and strong. When those purchased by his blood, lift to him a song of love. There's nothing more he'd rather hear, nor so pleasing to his ear, as his favorite song of all. Let me tell you, of all the things that God is listening for most and that pleases him most, when we gather together to worship, it's not the, the clanging cymbals and the drums or the guitars. Clearly, God's not opposed to those things, but you know what brings him most praise? Is your voice and my voice lifted to him, singing about his mighty acts and his excellent greatness. Some of you are sitting here this morning, you're saying, I don't don't sing very well. Neither do I. You ever ever wondered why I sit up here by myself all the time? I used to have people sit with me. Now they, they've all moved. They, even my own family. Even my own family won't even sit with me. They're over, they, got, they got over as far as they could away from me. That's okay. See, I, I'm, not, I'm not here for you. I'm here for him. Listen, when the Bible talks about make a joyful noise to the Lord, there's a lot of wiggle room in that for us. Amen. A joyful noise to him may sound like a grateful grunt to you, but it's all good, right? God just tells me to lift up my praise to him. And there should be no way that I would let the rocks praise him or the waves praise him or the wind praise him, but me not praise him for what he has done. Take everything you got and use it to praise the Lord. Let me give you one last thing real quick, and that's this. Who should praise the Lord? We've kind of danced around this, but who should praise the Lord? 
The psalmist ends this way. He says in verse 6, Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Everything that has breath. So what, what does that mean? Let every living thing. If something's not breathing, then it's not alive, right? So let every living thing praise the Lord. Are you alive? We say, of course I'm alive. I'm sitting here, aren't I? Do you know that something can be breathing and still not be living in the spiritual realm? There are people sitting here this morning, and physically you're very much alive, but spiritually you're very much dead. You're dead in your sin. Which means that you've never come to a place in your life where you've repented of your sin, that you've acknowledged the fact that you are a sinner, that your sin has separated you from God, that what you deserve because of your sin is judgment and hell. You've never come to terms with that. You've never come to the place in your life where you have believed, I mean really believed, on Jesus Christ as the Savior and Lord of your life, that you really understand that why he came into this world was to die on a cross in order to pay for your sins, in order to suffer the punishment that you deserve because of sin, and that he was raised up from the dead so that by faith in him, by turning to him, you could be forgiven and have eternal life. You've never come to the place where you have trusted him and received him as the Savior and Lord of your life. And because you've never done that, these, these things that we're talking about this morning, they don't mean anything to you. Like there, there's no inspiration for you to want to, to worship God. There's no motivation in your heart to want to worship God. You kind of drug yourself to church or somebody drug you to church this morning, but you didn't come here excited and anticipating being together with God's people to worship him because you just don't know him. And if you don't know him, none of this makes sense to you. But for those of us who do know him and have been made alive by the spirit of God who is given us new life through faith in Jesus Christ, this makes perfect sense to us. Because of what God has done for us in Christ, because of what God has promised us in Christ, because of who we are in Christ, there is nothing else we would rather do than praise him. Spurgeon said, to give the least particle of his honor to another is shameful treason. In other words, it, to praise something, to give something more praise than you would God if you claim to know him is shameful treason. To refuse to render him uh, what is his is heartless robbery. You know, 13 times in this psalm, we're called upon to praise the Lord. 10 times it's issued to us as a command. Praise him, praise him. This is not a suggestion. It is a command, but it should be a command well received by the people of God because we understand that God is worthy of our praise, that he deserves our praise, and we want to give it to him. Can I get a witness? And I know some people are sitting here this morning and you're thinking, that's just not my thing. That's not, that's not who I am. That's not my thing. I just kind of keep, keep everything in. I don't like to show much emotion. I just don't get excited about a lot of stuff. And so, you know, I'm glad to be here. I just, it just doesn't maybe look like it. And I would believe you. I would, if it weren't for Taylor Swift and college football. See, I got social media. I, I, I see where people go. 
I know that just a few months ago, there's a girl that shows up in Nashville, Tennessee, who sells out Nissan Stadium three nights in a row. Record crowds. Over 212,000 people showed up to, to hear her sing. Last night that she sang, storm came in, passed through the area, delayed the concert into the wee hours of the morning. But she, being the star that she is, she hung around. She came out and she sang, and they hung around to listen to her. Into the wee hours of the morning, she sang to them, and they drank it up, and they loved every moment of it, and they took their pictures, and they posted them everywhere for everyone to see because it meant something to them. And then yesterday, stadiums across our country were filled with people. Some of them had painted themselves up. Some of them had camped out all week long, waiting for the day to come. They were tailgating, just couldn't wait for the doors to open, the gates to open so they could get into the stadium and watch their favorite team. Some people who even couldn't go to the stadium for whatever reason, they were still anticipating when it was going to come on television, and they posted on Friday night, one more sleep, one more sleep, and it's football time in Tennessee. Praise Jesus. I get it. I love sports. I told you I like music. I've gone to concerts. I've been to sporting events. I'm not saying any of that stuff is wrong. But what I am saying is that some of those people who sat into the wee hours of the night listening to a girl sing for hours, her musical set, wake up on Sunday morning and it's cloudy and they say, I ain't doing it today. Some people who sat in those stadiums yesterday and watched for hours as men ran up and down the field trying to get a piece of pigskin into the end zone more times than the other team are the same people who show up here and look bored to death or they're watching their clock to see when it is we're going to get out. Something's wrong there. If the things of this world become more important to us than God himself, if we give more of ourself and more of our energy to these things than we do to the one who died on the cross for our sins, something is terribly wrong with us. You may love your team. But there ain't a soul on that team that died for you on a cross, nor would they. But Jesus did. And so how does it end? Praise Him. Praise the Lord. And that should be our life. Our life should be lived as an offering of worship to the one and the only one who is worthy of our praise. Do you know him? If you don't, you can today. And I'll tell you, he's worth knowing. He completely changed my life. Many years ago, I'd spent the early years of my life worshiping things. Myself, 
the things of this world, chasing the things of this world, looking for stuff that would fill the emptiness of my soul. And it wasn't until I met Jesus that everything in my life changed. And I met the one that I was made for. The one who died for me so I could live in him. He changed my life. And there's nothing I would rather do than to praise him. That same Jesus who died for me died for you. And today, if you'll turn from your sin and put your faith and trust in him, you will find the one you were created for, the one you were made for, the one who gives life meaning and purpose and hope and joy, the one who feels the deepest longing of your soul. And when you meet him, you won't be able to keep from praising him. Praise the Lord. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's sermon, leave us a rating and subscribe to the podcast. To learn more about First Baptist Church Martin, visit fpcmartin.org.